Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. Welcome to the House Hacking Success Show. Uh, this is our first ever Ask House Hacking Success Podcast episode. I'm excited. So, uh, I'm excited. We got yeah. the uh, interaction from our followers and listeners, and we really get to uh, answer your question, the listener, and figure out what is holding you up or what questions you have as a house hacker. So we're super excited about this. Super excited. And if you ever want to submit a question, you can email us at info at househackingsuccess.com. Or go ahead and go to our Instagram at House Hacking Success. Shoot us a DM or find one of our posts. Ask us a question. We're happy to help out. Because this is really what it's all about. You know, we Drew and I want this show to be about you, the listener, and how we can really help you. So when you ask us those questions, don't feel like it's it's too low level of a question or maybe you feel like it's a dumb question. It's something we really want because it helps us tailor the show uh, around you and what you really need. And so uh, anything at all, DM us, email us, uh, you know, however you want to contact us, just get a hold of us. Let us know what your actual questions are and we'll make sure we answer them for you. Awesome. Well said, Brad. So our first question is from Phil. Phil asked, would you recommend a Burr method in expensive markets, but instead of just renting it out, house hacking? So there's a couple of thoughts behind this, right? Especially when you're initially starting out. One of the good, a great reason for the doing a Burr method as a house hack is this. When you get done with the Burr method, all right, banks will loan up to 98% loan to value. Some, some are at 90, you have to talk to different banks. All right, some are at 85, but a lot of banks will loan up to 98% loan to value on your property. So let me get let me break that down for you. If you do a Burr method and you appreciate a property, right? And let's say you now have a $200,000 property, banks will lend up to $190,000 if it's an owner-occupied property. Now, if it isn't, if it's an investment property, banks will only loan to 22 or 25%. Uh, you, you have to own that much into it. So you can pull much more uh, equity out, and then you can go reuse that equity for additional properties um, or whatever it is that you want. But you know, And then after you pull that money out, you only have to wait six months, and then you can move out anyway. Um, so that's another that's another thing to consider. But uh, it bold methods work. We know person we know people that do investment property burrs and house hack burrs, um, and they both work. It's just really a matter of what is what are you trying to do with that money? What are you trying to do in real estate? Do you want to buy more properties? Are you just pulling that money out to to have a bigger uh, you know emergency fund or, or you know put more money into um, different investment funds or whatever? It's really tailored to you because both work. But doing it a house hack where you're an owner occupied, it's very advantageous to do it that way. And yeah, another it, thing, and another thing to consider real quick is the fact that interest rates could be substantially lower for you as an owner occupied than if you burr into an investment property. But again, they both work. Uh, and so I personally burred into an owner occupied uh, for the interest rate, and then I moved out after the six month period. Right. Uh, but I know people that burr right into investment property and go buy a different deal. I did the invert way. Instead of uh, burring into investment property and then buying a second property, the second property I bought at the same time was owner financed. And then I owner financed it for six months until I can move out and owner finance into my second property. Right. So there's a lot of ways to get creative uh, with this, you know, with interest rates and pulling money out and things like that. So, yeah. And if you're willing to house hack, 
uh, that really makes sense to do that bear strategy and a house hack at the same time. So when you go ahead and refinance, you can go get that other property and you can continue to house hack. So you're utilizing all the amazing benefits of the bear strategy and house hack at the same time. Like you get the best of both worlds. So you get to save on your living costs while you're using that bear strategy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have a question from Uncle Dell and it's how much did you have saved up for a down payment? That's a great question. And again, a lot of these questions and answers are going to be situational. You know, A, based on the loan type you have, uh, you know, how much down payment are you going to need to bring? How much do you want to bring? Right. Just because FHA uh, requires 3.5% down doesn't mean you have to put 3.5% down. If you want to put 10% down, you can go ahead and do that. Whatever you're comfortable with. Right. So so there's that. But the second thing to consider is not only the down payment and the closing costs, which closing costs we're going to talk to, I think, at some point, uh, but usually they range between two to three percent of the loan. Um, so if you have a hundred thousand dollar property, that's two to three grand. Uh, if you have a two hundred thousand dollar property, that's four to six. You can do the math as you go up higher and higher. Um, you know, so there's you know that that you have to consider that. Uh, but then additionally, you're going to want, even though banks don't require reserves on an owner occupied property, you want to consider that as a long-term investor, right? Because just because today everything looks great and the numbers look great with your property 100% filled and you know no repairs, that doesn't mean that you're always going to be 100% occupied and you're never going to have repairs on the property, right? And so you want to be you want to be, you know, you want to start to accumulate reserves uh, through, you know, every month you want to put a little bit into reserves, right? Uh, if you make $1,000 free and clear or just $1,000 altogether, you're going to want to put a little bit of that into a separate bank account or you know, however you want to hold that it, you know, for reserves, right? When those situations arrive, you want to have that money on hand or when the economy turns and you, know, you just need some extra money to pay the mortgage that month, you want to have a reserve in place for situations like that, right? So how much should you have saved? It all depends. I mean, you and I you know, didn't have an enormous amount of savings when we bought our first property. And as we continue to buy properties, that's what allowed us to have more and more saved, right? So if you're, uh, you know, if you're young and you're a first-time home buyer, don't think you need to have thousands, a thousand, a thousand dollars saved. Just know that once you buy the property, you should now consciously consider, you know, having reserves from that monthly income. Um, you know, put some safeguards in place so that when bad things happen and they will over your career, you have money to be ready for it. That's a great point. And also, maybe you're not ready. Maybe you don't have the money saved up yet to buy that house. But that doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't be calling lenders. You should figure out what you can qualify for. And that's going to give you an idea of, you know, how much you can afford for a house and what that down payment is going to be, depending on what type of loan you go with. Absolutely. And and lenders, you know, people people mistake how you should approach lenders because they think of lenders as I'm not good enough for them. But let me tell you something. Lenders get paid when they service a loan for you. Right. So they're actively seeking people to help provide loans for. So think of them more as partners, right? So when you start to call around to mortgage brokers, think of them as a partner, like ask them questions like, how can I become, you know, how can I get to the level that I need to for you? They want to help you, right? Maybe your credit score isn't, isn't, you know, where it should be uh, for a lender. Well, ask them, hey, like, how could I get to the level you need me to? What do I need to do? Uh, pay down this credit card, maybe pay off my, my, uh, my car loan, right? Uh, maybe it's just something as simple as, you know, uh, getting a better debt to income ratio based on other things, right? There's so many situations, uh, personal situations that lenders look at, call one, have them look over and think of them as a partner. 
and ask them, how can I not, you know, not wait until you get to that point? Because the likelihood of you getting to that point without direction is very low. Absolutely. And something I just want to add to, if you struggle to save or if you're not saving enough, start tracking your finances, figure out where that money is going. And then you can start eliminating unnecessary expenses and add that to your savings for your down payment. Yeah, absolutely. Without sacrifice, there's no reward, right? The old cliche. And uh, there are a lot of great people out there that will help you actively save, right? Uh, Dave Ramsey is one of them, right? There's a financial fitness course um, that that is a great way. You know, there are a lot of people. Uh, Rachel Cruz uh, is is a great uh, one in that mm-hmm. area. Um, Paula Pant is a great. She's in the fire community, but she's also really good at helping people save and be uh, you know proactive. There are a lot of great people out there that can help you uh, get more conscious about your finance. But you're absolutely right. I mean, in the initial stages, you know, those small things are really important. You know, spending money out to eat, you know, far too often is a big killer if you're trying to buy a property. Once you get into a house hack, right, and you save 30% of your budget because you no longer have a housing expense, now going out to eat and getting a coffee isn't a total budget killer, right? Mm -hmm. It's not going to kill your finances. Now you can actually live the life that you actually want a little bit more, right, and save at the same time. Right. So it gets way easier the further you get down this path. But if you're struggling to save and you're in the early stages, you really, really, really need to be conscious of everything you spend to get that down payment money. Yeah. And that's just a small sacrifice. I mean, it might take one year of those changes that you have to live with. And then you can kind of revert back to some of the stuff that you want to bring back in your life. And, and, you know, I'm a real estate agent. So we're going to speak to this a little bit later. uh, But I help clients all the time, you know, creatively bring uh, down payments in there, right? We're going to talk a little later about grants and down payment assistance, uh, federal, you know, grants and federal down payment assistance as long as local, as well as local, right? But there are seller concessions that can help you with down payments, right? There are a lot of ways that you can creatively, you know, bring down payment to help you get into properties, right? But it is going to take you getting your credit up to a certain level, talking to lenders, right? And so there, there. It's a this is a loaded question. How much should I have saved, right? It's very personal, um, you know, to each individual situation, where you are in the country, what home values are, how how uh, credit worthy are you. Um, but knowing that there are creative ways to do it is important. So finding real estate agent and lenders who are also investors who are going to help you, you know, get into an investor friendly situation is also important. Yep. And then once you get all that in line and figure out what kind of loan you're going to go with, what you can get approved for, then you can just start doing the simple math, right? So it's going to be, okay, I want to buy a $200,000 property at three and a half percent down. So just take 200,000 times 0.035 and you got your down payment right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there are, you know, I mean, uh, FHA is something we talk about a lot because that is a very um, common situation. A lot of people get into FHAs uh, and 5% down conventional is also popular. But USDA loan, 0% down, right? You can mm-hmm. do multifamily. Uh, VA loan, if you're a veteran or a current military, 0% down, right? There are a lot of situations where you can get into properties for 0% down and then no longer have payment, no longer have a mortgage, no longer have rent, right? So, um, so again, talk to lenders, see what you can do. Um, lenders want to help you, let them help you, right? Partner with them. So Victor asked, how can you go from owning a multifamily property with an FHA loan to owning it as an investment property? It's a great question. And there are really, there are, mon- there are many ways. Uh, first and foremost, you can have an FHA property be an investment property after you have uh, uh, completed the seasoning period. Generally, it's one year, 
right? Sometimes it's six months. My personal lender did six months uh, for me with the FHA process. But um, you can, you know, after the one year or whatever your lender requires you to live in that property, you can move out and that can remain an investment property, right? And then you just go get a conventional or whatever type of mortgage you want on the second property, right? So there, there's situation number one. Uh, situation number two is you refinance from an FHA to a conventional, which would now be an investment property conventional loan. Okay. And something to consider is that if you try to do that, is that you need now 20% or more equity in the property generally, right? Sometimes lenders can work with you, but if you're trying to refinance into a, an investment property so that, you know, you can now take that FHA and go get another owner occupied, because again, if you refinance to a conventional owner occupied, you can no longer go get an FHA because you already have an owner occupied. You got to now wait out the seasoning period for your uh, uh, conventional mortgage, right? Uh, so that's another thing to consider. You can refinance into a different mortgage to then uh, go use an FHA again, right? But it has to be investment property. The third way is that you can have multiple FHA loans at one time, and not a whole lot of people understand this. So uh, there are really four ways. There are actually four ways the FHA allows to get a second FHA property. Uh, the first one is that you move over a hundred miles away, um, and generally that means job relocation. Right. We had Joe Williams on uh, episode six or seven, I believe. Uh, and he moved from Minneapolis to Richmond, Virginia. Right. And he got his second FHA property. Right. So obviously that's way more than 100 miles. Um, so there's option number one, but it doesn't always have to be job relocation. They're very vague on that. Right. So you potentially could move 100 miles or more than 100 miles away and get, you know, a second mortgage. Now you're driving, you know, a long distance to work or whatever. Um, but that is an option, all right? The second one the FHA allows is that your family grows in size. Again, very vague, right? So you have to talk to lenders um, and it's very, you know, it's up to their interpretation. It's up to a, a lender's interpretation of that, uh, to how you can do it. So you, have, you might have to talk to many. Uh, but if you get married, if you have a kid, if you, if your uh, spouse, you know, if you have uh, stepkids, right, from a spouse, if your family grows in size in some capacity, right, and it's up to the lender's interpretation, now you can get a second one. Uh, the other two are if you have a jointly owned property, right? If you have a jointly owned FHA and you leave, or um, you know, if if you had a, if you lived in an FHA property and you move from it, right? Uh, those two situations, now you can get an additional FHA property uh, if it's jointly owned. So now someone else is assuming the other one. Now you get. To take another FHA property, right? Again, up to a lender's interpretation, talk to your lender. But those three ways are the main ways to go from an FHA loan to owning, a, you know, an invest to having an investment property and then going to reuse that FHA. All right. So mid169 from Instagram asked, how can I get into a multifamily house as a first time home buyer? And he asked for a step-by-step -step guide. Um, so one thing I want to add into this, my first home was a duplex. So I have a little bit of experience with this and most of this is it's the same process as buying a house. You want to go find a real estate agent. You want to talk to a lender and then you want to start making offers into houses that you can afford. And that's going to be based on what your lender tells you. Uh, there's a lot more that I think should go into that because you're buying this to be an investment property. So I would start off learning, reading books, whatever you can do to learn more about house hacking, owning investment properties, um, and then also learn how to analyze properties. And then when you feel pretty comfortable there, don't get analysis paralysis, reach out to a real estate agent, tell them what your goals are long-term and short-term, 
let them know. Um, if you're going to be house hacking, let them know about that. Maybe, uh, maybe they're not familiar with it. Not all real estate agents are, and not all of them are investor friendly. So make sure that they align with your goals and then they're going to be able to connect you with a loan officer. And that's, who's going to be able to help you figure out what kind of loan you can get approved for and how much, um, once you get through finding properties, um, how would you suggest looking at properties? I mean, for me, I looked on Zillow for my first home and I actually bought in a move in ready duplex, but I guess if you want to do a, uh, rehab, you could look into a 203k loan or doing the Burr method, but you got to figure out what kind of property you're comfortable moving into, or you can kind of be open-ended and see what pops up. Uh, yeah. for me, a move in ready property was perfect for my first home. Yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah, great, great point. Um, you know, as an agent, generally how I, you know, go down the list for people that are wanting to do this. Uh, number one, like you said, educate yourself, read books, listen to some podcasts, open your up, open yourself up to the ideas. I think the biggest thing with real estate, like every step that you and I take, you know, furthering our real estate investing career is the fact that like we learn something new that that totally alters the way we look properties. Right. Like uh, when I did my first seller financing deal, I had heard of seller financing, but after I'd actually did that. I mean, it just opened up my idea, my mind to all the possibilities within real estate, right? So that, that's the first thing is educating yourself, right? Second is determining, like you said, what is it that I actually want? Do I want a burr, right? Do I want to find a multi-unit, like a two, a three, or a four unit? Uh, do I want to do a, you know, a single family and rent out by the bedroom or rent out by Airbnb, which is you know becoming very popular, right? Figure out what you want. The third thing is start to analyze what you want, right? Go down that list. Um, you know, you know, we we have. If you go to our YouTube, you can look at step by step all six of the ways that we analyze deals for newbies, right? We call it the back of the napkin way of analyzing, right? And so uh, there's like one percent rule, fifty percent rule, cap rate, right? There, you know, we we analyze deals so that we can just get a base idea of if this property is going to work or not. And again, it's not a hundred percent. It's just a, a quick rule of thumb so you can kind of weed through the mess of all these hundreds or thousands of properties that are on the market within your general area, you can now kind of weed through that and figure out which one is best, right? The, after that, which is number four, is get a real estate agent. You interview them, right? You know, Don't just go with the first one that you know or the first one you see. Go interview a few, three, four, five. Ask them, do you have rental properties? Do you work with people specifically that are investors, right? Because every agent's gonna sell you on the fact that they're a great agent, but you have to understand that not every agent knows how to work with you because real estate agents, we're not trained to, to help investors. We're trained to help the traditional consumer, right? The person that buys a three bedroom, two bath, a four bedroom, two bath home that wants to live in it for 15 to 30 years or the rest of their life, you know, whatever. Um, that's how we're trained to help people buy homes, right? And so it's just a totally different mindset. Ask them, ask them how they run numbers, right? Ask them how many deals they've done. Or how many how many times they've house, helped a house hacker, and if they say three times, say, "Hey, can I talk to those three people?" Right, and you just give them a call up and say, "Hey, like, uh, you know, would you recommend this person again? Do you still work with this person? Um, did they did they help you evaluate the property? Did they give you good advice?" Right, I mean, you know, you don't have to be super thorough, but just meet with them and ask them these questions. Maybe even over the phone it doesn't even have to be in person, right? Or text them, you know, like a list of these questions. I would prefer over the phone or in person personally, just so I can hear the dialect and how well they, they think. But that's the fourth one. Find an investor friendly real estate agent. Once you find that, let me tell you guys, 
rock stars hang with rock stars. That's the truest. That's the truest statement I've ever heard. Right. When if you find a great real estate agent, not even a great one, a really good real estate uh, agent that is an investor and actually helps investors, he's going to know exactly who to go to for your loan. Right. So if you haven't already talked to a mortgage broker, which you can, you know, these are interchangeable. If you find a great loan officer first, great. But there's so many out there. I would personally find a real estate agent first because I feel like they open way more doors for you than a loan officer would, in my opinion. But again, you know, that's up for debate. You can do it however you want. But they will they will if they if they're a good real estate agent and they are investors, they're going to point you to the loan officers that help investors help multifamily investors, right? Because they're going to absolutely know them because they've done it personally, right? And so after that, after you've, brought, you've got a pre-approval, now your real estate agent's going to give you, uh, you know, uh, emails of your specific criteria of the properties. Now you can go through each one of those and do hardcore uh, analyzations, right? You analyze the properties, you figure out cash flow, you figure out the expenses, uh, you figure out, you know, all these things that you want to know as an investor, Right. Uh, and, and then you go start looking at them. And then the next thing, which is the final thing, is just start making offers. If you find a good agent, they're going to know the value of just making offers. Right. It's not a matter of going to see it and doing all your due diligence before making, uh, you know, at least from my perspective, uh, doing all your, I do my due diligence after the offer is accepted. Because here's why. As a real estate agent, I know that I can put contingencies and offers that allow me to back out if the deal isn't what I believe it is. Right. So. Soon as I get an offer accepted, I may have you can you can you know this is totally up to how you need you want to do it. But I may have a ten day contingency for an inspection period. Okay, after ten you know in between that ten days, I'm gonna get an inspector out there, uh, or I'm gonna go I'm gonna obviously walk it myself. I'm gonna maybe get a contractor out there, whoever I think I need to view certain details of the property. If I find something that is not what I originally anticipated, I look at it as a good thing. Okay, so now. I'm no longer comfortable maybe with that original price that it, we got accepted on because I know I need a $10,000 roof that I didn't know at first because now I went up in the attic and it's leaking, right? So now I go to them and say, hey, listen, I need a $10,000 roof. Give me $12,000 off the price or give me $10,000 off the price and we'll go forward with it right now, right? Now you put the uh, you know the pressure on them to do it. So just make offers. The point is just make offers. You're going to get rejected. You're going to get rejected, but that, that one offer is going to come back and get a great deal. So that's my step-by-step -step guide uh, if you're new to this, first start, uh, you know, reading and understanding, open your mind up, uh, you know, then start just doing basic analyzations so you get a little feel for it. Reach out to, uh, you know, reach out to an investor or a, a invest friendly agent um, and then just go down these steps, start making offers. Yeah. And once you get to the point of making offers, make sure that you're figuring out what's going on in these markets where these properties are. Uh, one thing that you want to know is how much you could rent out the other unit for. You want to know if there's any HOA fees. Uh, one thing that you really want to look out for is flood insurance. I mean, a lot of these things can really impede your cash flow. Um, so make sure you understand the market, um, those kind of things. So study that area, study the zoning laws, all of that. And then once you actually do get a property, there's some steps that are added on there. You want to find a tenant, right? So you can start listing that on places like Zillow, Facebook, Craigslist, wherever you want, but you can also start using strategies like Airbnb and you can decide to furnish that other side. So it really depends on the market and if Airbnb is popular in that area or not. Uh, if it's not, you're probably going to want to do a one-year lease. So that's another point. Great. Absolutely great point um, of why you should find an investor-friendly real estate agent, unlike a normal traditional real estate agent, right? A, a, 
a regular real estate agent is trained to sell houses, right? They just, they're trained to, you know, put people in properties. So they may sell, you know, they may sell HOA properties, right? Which are homeowner association properties within homeowner associations, right? That's just normal. There's a market for people that don't want to do their the maintenance of property, right? That's why there's a HOA, right? They they keep everything together. You can't put certain colors. People want, you know, they don't want to come into properties that are all over the place, you know, as far as colors and stuff. They just want a nice property, well up kept neighborhood. So there's a demographic for people to want those properties. For investors, though, that's a cash flow killer, right? Uh, same thing with flood insurance, right? Mm-hmm. Agents sell properties with flood insurance all the time. You know, if people want to live there, they have to pay it. That's just a part of it, right? So they don't. And just, just to clarify, on uh, flood insurance too, you're required to pay it if you're in a flood zone. Yeah. Otherwise, exactly. otherwise you don't have to pay. It. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but if you're a regular agent that sells within this flood zone, it's just a normal part of doing business, right? They're not think they don't think any other way. It's just the way we're trained. But if you're an investor friendly real estate agent that actually has their own investment properties, they will absolutely catch that, right? And they'll say, "Hey, listen." Like, you know, and that's another thing to talk to them about is like where, you know, what part of town, what part of city is it a good spot for investors? Where are most investors investing within that city? Right. That's a good question to ask your real estate investor because he's going to know that. Right. Every city has zoning laws that, you know, have, you know, multifamilies over here, this part of town, you know, high end single families on this part of town. Down here's the industrial part of town where all the factories are. Over here is, you know, where all the McDonald's are, right? There's different zoning around your city. Your your agent's going to know that. And he's going to direct you to the best parts of the city for potential deals, right? And there, he's going to say, over here, you got to pay uh, flood insurance. You know, over here, uh, you know, there aren't any multifamilies. You know what I'm saying? Like finding the right agent is key in my opinion. And of course I'm biased because I am an agent, but finding the right agent is key to helping direct you to the right parts to to make the most money as an investor. Yeah. And you can find that right agent by going to real estate groups, uh, talking to investors, asking their suggestions, or maybe meeting agents there. So you have to get out and network. You have to go out and find that right real estate agent. Absolutely. So we have a question from Uncle Dell and Tracy on how can I get down payment assistance and grants for that down payment? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, assistance program, down payment assistance programs and grants are either federal or local, and you can have a mixture of both, right? Uh, For instance, uh, a grant that most people don't think of as a grant is the USDA loan, right? Which is a rural development loan or or RD as some people will call it. And they're, they're different loans, some of them, but a lot of them are the same. Those are generally 0% down and they try to promote growth within different parts of, of areas, right? Uh, it's not as rural as you would think, right? Outside of like, for instance, you know, cities like Detroit, um, if you go, you know, to certain areas, there are areas you can buy USDA loans. Uh, we're going to have somebody on the show uh, next week who's from Boston that did a USDA loan outside of Boston, right? That's a big market. Um, so USDA loans, you have to go online and figure out where that is. So there, there's a form of uh, down payment assistance, right? So you're percent down uh, because they want to develop certain areas, right? Other federal grants are similar, okay? And uh, local grants and down payments are similar. But again, you have to qualify for them. So they're very specific to you, right? To, you know, you can't make a certain over a certain amount of money. Um, you can't, you know, there, there are a lot of different stipulations. So the best way to answer this question, because we can get in the weeds here and alienate a lot of our audience, just because different situations, go talk to lenders, go ask them for uh, first time home buyer grants and, and down payment assistance programs, for first time homeowners or uh, low income uh, earners, right? There are a lot of programs for that. Go talk to them about that. Because again, 
just like some of the other answers we talked about today, it's all about their interpretation of it, right? So some lenders are going to be able to do it. Some lenders aren't based on risk tolerance yet, you know, and, and other uh, criteria. Go talk to them. Go talk to many of them. Go talk to three lenders, right? And say, hey, listen, this is my situation. What can you do for me? What kind of down payment assistance programs do you have for me? Uh, what can I qualify for? What do you think about the USDA loan? Where can I do use uh, USDA loan, right? Um, you know, FHA, is there any way to lower my down payment? There are many ways. You just have to be creative. You have to go talk to the right people. So that's for this question, that's my best answer for it um, because we can get in the weeds and it's very situational. Go speak with lenders. Um, you know, if, if you're in a specific market and you don't know who to talk to, DM us. We might, you know, we, we've developed contacts from people throughout the country um, in the mortgage industry. We can point you in a direction, right? And you can talk to them about it. And, you know, if, if they don't know somebody, maybe they can point you in a direction. We know real estate agents and all, you know, all over the, we've interviewed many of them over the country, um, you know, that are in certain markets. Like they can certainly point you in the direction of people that will be able to help you. If, you. if you have questions about it, DM us personally, and we'll do our best to point you in the right direction. That's a great point. I mean, the lenders are the professionals. They're the ones doing this day in and day out. And maybe the first or second lender that you call isn't going to have an answer for you. But like you said, call multiple lenders, keep calling, keep asking. One of them is going to have an answer to that question. Absolutely. Well, there's a will, there's a way. And I mean, uh, you know, we've talked to so many people and basically it all boils down to everything in real estate is negotiable. Right. We had we had we've had people on the show that say, you know, they talk to lenders and they thought their the initial interest rate was fixed when they you know they they called and they said hey you know you get five point seven percent interest rate on this investment property right and and you know he just thought it was fixed and he talked to another investor and he said dude like you can get that way down right and and then they came another lender gave him five percent and then they talked to the when they quoted him at five point seven and they gave five percent the point is everything is negotiable right talk to multiple lenders. Figure out what one can do, what one can't do. When you figure out one can do this, go back to the other one and say, hey, I just got this you know, offer uh, for down payment assistance or this interest rate. Can you match that? And they'll usually match it and they'll usually give you one more thing. You go back, you, you can negotiate, right? Everything in real estate is negotiable. Um, and if there's a will, you'll be able to find a way in this business for down payments or whatever it is that you're really looking for. We'll do our best to put you in position with people in your market to figure that out. All right. So we got another question from uncle Dell. He asked after you find the property, then what? So this question can be interpreted a couple different directions. I'm not sure if after he initially spots the property, what he should do, or after he finds it and purchases the property, then what he should do. But we'll talk about both because they're both really good questions. Uh, after you find the property, it depends if you found it on Zillow and you don't have an agent or you haven't spoken with a lender, um, then those two things are probably the first couple things you should do. Uh, the other thing, if you know an investor, if you consider someone a mentor, run all the numbers, right? You have to do the work. You can't just go ask them what they think about this property, right? That they, you know, if you have an actual person that you consider a mentor that is in this business, he's going to be busy or he's going to have family to tend to, right? He can't just be sitting there evaluating your deals. So you're going to have to do the deal or you have to do the work on it. But Evaluate the deals, crunch the numbers, and then just submit a spreadsheet and say, hey, like, what do you think about this? Like, is this something you would consider? Take that to your agent. See if he spots something flawed in it. Take it to your lender. See if they spot something, you know, um, maybe go to a, a real estate investing, you know, group. See what they say. Put it on bigger pockets forums, something maybe we don't talk about enough, right? Bigger pockets forums allows you to do that all the time. And you'll get people, uh, investors from all over the country to critique your numbers uh, or your deal, right? And maybe you'll find someone in your local market that say, hey, like, 
This is something that I didn't consider. The point is, you know, during that process, um, you know, evaluate the deal and then make an offer if you think it's good. Uh, because we talked about in a previous question is the fact that like, for me, I don't do my hardcore due diligence until after the offer is accepted because it's just wasting your time, right? You, As an agent, I know that there are many contingencies that you can back out of the deal if something comes up that wasn't uh, initially you know, thought of or, or seen, right? For instance, if there's major foundation issues and you didn't see it when you uh, originally made your offer, during that 10-day uh, con- you know, contingency to do your inspection, you can back out of that, right? So make an offer, right? Figure out what number it is that you can cash flow or what number you feel comfortable with buying the property based on, you know, properties in the area and, and all of that, right? Make an offer. Once it's accepted, then do serious due diligence. Uh, but then let's talk about the flip side of that. Let's let's say that this question was aimed at after you buy the property, what you should do, okay? Um, so, you know, again, that can go many different ways. We're going to keep it pretty simple here. Uh, whether you have a multi-unit or rent by the bedroom or Airbnb, whatever it is, right? Figure A, figure out what you want to do with it as far as trying to house hack and, and eliminate your mortgage. Um, and then, you know, go about finding the best way to uh, promote the property. For us, for you and I, both of us, we love Facebook Marketplace. I mean, 98% of probably more, probably 99% of the tenants or at least the contact I get is from Facebook Marketplace, from potential uh, pro- uh, prospects to rent my properties. So um, I love that. I mean, I, I've tried Craigslist. I've never had any good luck with good tenants from Craigslist. Um you know, there's apartments.com, there's Zillow rent. I mean, there's there's a million different, uh, Tru- uh, Trulia has one, a Zumper, uh, some people use in certain markets. Figure out which ones work in your market. Maybe Facebook Marketplace, you can just ask, uh, you know, hey, say I'm in Boston, hey, in Boston, you know, what's the best one to use? Or I'm in Denver, you know, what's the best one to use? Or I'm, I'm in LA or Orange County or San Diego or, you know, anywhere, wherever you're in the country, maybe ask on, um, you know, different investor pages in the forums of big pockets, figure out, you know, how to rent it, how to get clients. After you do that, set up a lease, right? Get it, you know, find a really good lease, talk to a lawyer. Bigger Pockets has state specific, uh, you know, leases that are nice initial ones. You might want, you're going to want to critique it to your own personal philosophy, but they have a real nice 13 page, uh, if you're a pro member, but 13 page state specific lease, right? You can use that if you're trying to do a long term lease. If you do an Airbnb or, or short term uh, rentals, you know, you'll have your own specific. Uh, or deals, Airbnb sets that up for you, but I'm just saying other short-term ideas. Um, and then rent by the room is a little bit different. So, you know, we can go into weeds with all those. But then but then finally, the the last thing that a lot of people don't consider, you've got the property, you have at least, uh, you, you have a good lease in place, you have good tenant in place. The next thing to consider is the long-term prospects of this property, right? Uh, as you and I both know, properties break down over time. That's why we get to, that's why the, uh, the government allows us to appreciate and write off against the property because they know that properties break down over time. So you want to, uh, not only are you getting tax benefit from it, but you also want to put reserves in there. There's a reason that banks, if you're not a house hacker, again, this is a key point to remember, but banks require reserves. If you buy a straight up investment property, if you don't live in it, they're going to require 20 to 25% down payment and reserves, which is usually uh, like four to six months. Uh, you need the expenses of four to six months in a bank account set aside for this property. Banks require that. A lot of people don't even realize that, you know, how what, how good we have it as house hackers. But there's a reason for that. There's a reason that banks require that, right? 2008 is a great example. How many people lost their property because they weren't prepared uh, for each individual property for something like that to happen, right? So, um, you know, 
get in, get a reserve on that property before you go get the second one. You know, I mean, you, I, you know, I'm speaking as a little bit of a hypocrite because I went and bought it and then I created my reserves for my properties. But like, you know, maybe you're in a growth stage and you want it and you feel comfortable taking on a little bit more risk. That's fine. But eventually you got to have reserves for each individual property so that you can weather storms. So you can, you know, when, when something comes up, you can you fix that. You know, now we have that in place and, and we're ready to, uh, you know, whatever happens with the property, we can fix it. Right. So make sure you consider that as well. After all the, you know, the obvious things like putting a tenant in place and, and, and the lease and, um, you know, making sure maybe you, you renovate it to a certain level after you buy it, maybe, you know, paint and flooring, whatever you got to do to get a good quality tenant. Uh, if that's your, you know, if that's your objective, which has always been mine, is to get the highest quality tenant. So I, I make my places look nice um, is then reserves. I think that's an important thing to remember. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, maybe if you don't have those reserves right away, which it would be good to have. Uh, it's going to help with peace of mind. And if anything happens, but if you don't have that and you really want to get started, you can get in there and I would immediately start saving those reserves. Like that should be objective one with your savings and determine how many months worth of operating expenses that you need for those reserves. Cause there's things you got to consider. You have to consider vacancy. You have to consider if something's going to go out unexpected expenses. Uh, for me, like I bought a property in the winter I had two trees that were completely dead and I didn't find out until the spring and they're covered in termites. That was a completely unexpected expense that popped up. And that's something that you want to be prepared for. And, you know, something to also consider with like Phil, Phil's a uh, question about burr uh, hacking versus, you know, when it, as, it, uh, as an investment property versus as a house hack where you're the owner occupied. If you pull that money out as an owner occupied, you get a much, you get to take much more money out right? If it's your personal property. So now you, if you take that money out, you can then take that money and put it as reserves and, you know, on top of a down payment for another property. Mm -hmm. But now you pull that money out and you don't have to necessarily save for a long period of time to, to have that reserve. You now have a reserve for that property based on the money pull out. And then now every month you come in, you can, you know, disperse into, you know, reserves plus save up for additional places or, or personal life expenses, whatever it is, right? Like there are a lot of ways to come about getting to that reserve. But again, you know, cash is king to a uh, to a you know certain point. But cash flow and liquidity are really king, right? Because there were people that lost properties that had 80, 90 percent equity in them during 2008, but they couldn't service their loans. It doesn't matter, right? You can have 80 percent, right? You can have you know uh, you know it almost all the way paid off, but if you can't service your loan during you know when you lose your job or whatever, like that's something to consider, right? You need liquidity. Uh, in, in financial crisis like that, because banks freeze their credit. Right. And so, I mean, we can get in the weeds again with this, like what happens when, when there's a downturn, but there inevitably will mm -hmm. be a downturn if you're going to be a real estate investor. And this is something you got to think about, right? You need liquidity. Um, that's another reasons why, you know, uh, Craig Kerlop from Bigger Pockets was on here and he talked about the huge advantage that you need to take advantage of, which is low down payments intros when you don't have to pay for the mortgage. Right. And uh, he didn't necessarily speak to this, you know, in the podcast, but he did speak to this, you know, in the book. And his general terminology is the fact that liquidity is king. Having cash on, you know, in reserves is much more important than, you know, having uh, cash into the property, equity in the property. And, and again, you, I'm not discouraging equity in a property. It's very good. You and I both uh, actively try to create, you know, uh, large equity positions within our home. That's also important. But, you know, that's not the only thing. You have to weigh the two, right? Uh, and you know, there's a lot of personal, you know, biases involved with that. How much risk tolerance you have, so we can get in the weeds with that too. But just, just consider that reserves are very important. 
That's a great point. Be structured, have reserves. You want to be prepared to weather any storm that comes your way. Because in the long term, when it comes down to it, we're investors, not gamblers. Absolutely. Absolutely. I thought this was uh, this was awesome. We're going to have a second part to this, right? We're going to ask some more questions, but we uh, we really, really appreciate you guys bringing these questions to us uh, because they're really important. I mean, now we understand a little bit better of, of what people are actually thinking, you know, because sometimes Drew and I forget what our initial thoughts were. We had we had every one of these thoughts throughout our career, right? Um, as investors. And so now we're we're better understanding how you, the listener, uh, interpret house hacking, what you're thinking along the journey, and we can better tailor make our services to help you. I love getting all these questions. Uh, it's really forcing us to learn about you guys, forcing us to learn about some topics that maybe I wasn't as familiar with. And also we're teaching other people and it's, it's just a win-win and we're creating a really cool community here. Absolutely. Well, Drew, I think this was awesome. Uh, again, we're going to have a second part, hopefully a third and a fourth. We're going to continue to do this as long as you guys provide us with questions. DM us, email us, uh, comment on our posts, whatever your questions are. We're going to start collecting those and we're going to start doing podcasts just like this that answer your questions specifically because you know we're going to bring on guests to help inspire you and and, and help you, cre- you think creatively when you go about this journey. But also, we want to make sure we're answering your questions. So bringing on guests doesn't always answer your specific questions. That's why we want to do shows like this to get directly to the heart of what you guys are thinking. And so, again, we appreciate each and every one of you for your questions and uh, look forward to the second and third episodes of this. Looking forward to it. All right, Drew.